It's the Agship Podcast. I'm Patrick Mayhorn. I'm the founder of the Agship, a credentialed outlet and newsletter delivering Utah State football, men's basketball, and women's basketball feature-length stories and reporting to your inbox several times per week. You can subscribe to either the $6 or $10 a month tier at www.theagship.com. The $10 tier is the flagship tier. That is the sort of film study uh, above and beyond tier. The $6 tier is going to get you every post saved for those film studies. You can also subscribe for free. That's largely going to get you these podcast episodes. And then I do have some content coming up for free subscribers soon on the women's basketball team, which I've, I've conducted some interviews for and, and we'll be doing some get-to-know pieces there. Um, those are going to be free because I think more people should know about the team, and I would like to publicize the team as much as I can. So those are coming soon. Um, if you are a free subscriber, if you want football stories, if you want the Forecasting the Aggie series, if you want any of that stuff, $6 tier. If you want film studies, if you want the premium Q&A, $10 tier. Um you can also try the Agship one month for free in the Welcome to the Agship post. In quite a few posts, there's a button that says one month free. Click on that. You can just try it out, the $10 tier, the highest tier. Um, now I'm going to say is a really good time to do that. If you want to give it a shot, I've got some stuff that I'm going to tease later on uh, coming down the pike that's going to be really cool for the $10 tier subscribers uh, as well as for the $6 tier subscribers. There's only one exclusive to the $10 subscribers uh, story in this upcoming series that I'm going to tease in a second. Um, but all the same, worth a try if you want to give it a, a free month. There's also in there, maybe if you have given it a free month and liked what you saw, but would like to continue to take a discount, or if you think that you do want to to subscribe but would like to just you know try it at a, at a cheaper price for the first couple months, um, in my most recent post, the Forecasting the Aggies Offensive Guards post, uh, there's a button in there that went out a little while ago to $10 tier subscribers and is now out to all tiers of, of subscribers uh, that is offering the next two months for 50% off. And that's the flagship tier again. So you could try the flagship tier for $10 total over the next two months rather than $10 per month. Um, that would be just, you know, toss in $5, see if you like it. For the next two months, going to be getting into fall camp season. I think you'd get a game in there if if memory serves yeah that'd be mid-september so you get a couple games um so if you want to try that out and see if you like it uh, i could recommend that as well um you can also follow the outlet on twitter at the ag ship i'm on twitter at patrick underscore mayhorn uh it's enough promotion for right now i've got another another pretty um i would say pretty standard issue show here not a still not a ton going on i do want to talk a little bit about the uh, 2023 and 2024 and 2025 uh, Mountain West schedule stuff that came out today um, because I'm just curious about it. I think it's going to be interesting. I'm uh, encouraged, I guess, by the way that the Mountain West is doing this, this new version of scheduling um, where it's it's uh, two protected rivals and then no divisions outside of that. Uh, and as I'm recording here on the 15th, I'm a day removed from the Mountain West announcing uh, the next three seasons worth of um, conference schedules. So for Utah State, the draw is, I will say, uh, tough. 
it is a it is a tough this is a tough draw for the Aggies. Um, I, I think that it's a it's a draw that makes sense. I get it. I understand why this is the the uh, the pick. Um, but it is still, it's a lot. This is a lot to ask of, of Utah State. Um, I'm stalling because I'm trying to pull this up. Yeah, so the, uh, the, the two guaranteed opponents, the way that it's done is two guaranteed opponents plus six other Mountain West teams. Everybody will play every team at least twice um, in the next three years, once at home and one on the road. Uh, and then the top two teams will meet in the conference championship based on winning percentage within the league. Uh, I think that's great. I think that that is, that is very cool. Um, I will admit that the divisions in this league, I thought were pretty good, uh, in general. Um, there are, you know, there was some imbalance. There were years where the West was better. There were years where the mountain was better. I think this upcoming season was going to be one, is going to be one. There's this remains for this season is going to be one where the mountain is quite a bit better than the West is. Um, but I think in general, they made sense geographically. I'm, I'm of the conferences that are dropping divisions or that could be dropping divisions. The mountain West was not one that I thought was super urgent. Obviously this was announced a little bit ago, but, uh, this is fine. I, I don't have any issues with this. Um, Utah state's permanent guaranteed opponents, However, or it's a tough draw, um, and I'm not entirely sure why these two were the picks, if I'm being honest. I think that somebody like Wyoming probably would have made more sense, or Nevada, or Air Force, or Colorado State, um, rather than San Diego State, which is the uh, the second of, of two pairings, and the first is Boise State. Boise State makes sense. It's, you know, uh, I don't know the exact distances, but one of the closest teams in the you know, in the conference to Logan, um, team that has played quite a few good games against Utah State, uh, team that they have it, they have history together. I think that makes sense. I, 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 I like protecting that. Um, San Diego State, I get. I understand. It's you know, it's a, uh, it, it's a, a nice clean shot from Logan to San Diego. Uh, it's quite the trip, but it is a clean shot. Um, the the two programs have kind of a similar recent history of jumping up in the early 2010s and then sort of staying at that peak even since the coach who got them there San Diego State of course now has that coach again um but it's uh there's an interesting little bit of symmetry there and they they play good games but that one I'm a little bit surprised about granted Wyoming's crossover rivals being Air Force and Colorado State makes sense for Wyoming um, Nevada getting Fresno State and UNLV I think makes sense so it it, it would be hard to justify some of these. Personally, I'd probably put Nevada on Utah State's schedule um, rather than Fresno State, and then I would swap in San Diego State for Nevada on Fresno State's schedule. Um, I think that that would have made more sense personally, but I understand why this why this is what it is. Um, the, uh, the, the Air Force and, and Colorado State are both playing each other, and then also Wyoming. That rotation makes sense. It's a bummer that Utah State couldn't be included in that rotation because I think that having those four would have made a lot of sense, maybe even those five with Boise State. Um, but then you're basically just doing divisions again. You know, you might as well just add in one more team and, and run it back with the uh, with the, the West and the Mountain again. Um, but this is, I think, fine for, for Utah State. That's, that's a, it's two very tough opponents every season, but it is still just two opponents, and it's not the end of the world. You know, it's, it's what, one extra game against each team. Um, 
which is just, it's fine. Uh, it, it, it could be a lot worse. So 2023, Utah State gets Boise State, Colorado State, Fresno State, and Nevada at home with Air Force, New Mexico, San Diego State, and San Jose State on the road. Uh, this is the first time that I'm looking at these in depth, so I, I wanted to give sort of a live reaction on the show. Um, this is tough. This is a tough schedule. The road games aren't horrible. Uh, two pretty... I would say likely wins with New Mexico and San Jose State. Never know what San Diego State and Air Force are going to be. What the ceiling is for those teams can always be pretty, um, you know, pretty high. Uh, Air Force is going to be replacing a lot. San Diego State, I think, is probably going to be better in 2023 than it is in 2022. Home games are fine. Um, Colorado State. Honestly, home games are pretty good. This is a good four to get at home. Nevada is sort of the the weak point here, but could be moving back up by 2023 and then to get Fresno State, a Colorado State on the rise and Boise State at home is good. I think that that is a a, a solid rotation. 2024, Hawaii at home, New Mexico, San Diego State and Wyoming are the home schedule. Uh, Boise State, Colorado State, Nevada and UNLV on the road. So uh, what is it? Hawaii is added to the schedule as is UNLV. Um, this is also and and Wyoming. Um, this is also fine. I think this is a this is trickier. I would say having to go to Boise and having to go to Colorado State, but you get San Diego State at home, get Wyoming at home. That should be honestly three or four home wins, and then probably two on the road. This is quite a bit easier. The 2024 schedule is. Um, Boise on the road is never ever going to be easy, but that is other than that. I think seven pretty winnable games. Uh, and then 2025, Air Force, uh, Boise State, San Jose State, and UNLV at home with Fresno State, Hawaii, San Diego State, and Wyoming on the road. I might be misunderstanding how they're doing this. Um, no, never mind. They do. I, I thought that this was the first time they were playing San Jose State, but nope, they got them twice. Um, this is... Eh, about the same as 2023, I think, in terms of difficulty. Get Air Force and Boise State at home. Uh, San Jose State and UNLV should both be wins. Uh, although at that point, you know, maybe Ken Niamatololo is coaching UNLV and they're they're running the option and have become a lot more difficult to deal with. That's what I would do if I was UNLV, but I'm smart. Um, Fresno State on the road is always going to be difficult. San Diego State on the road with the new stadium is always going to be difficult, but then Hawaii and Wyoming should be winnable. Um, this is also fine. It's always good to get Boise at home. That's always going to be a plus. Uh, probably in terms of, of ease of schedule, I'd say 2024, then 2025, then 2023 is the ranking. The next year's schedule is brutal. That is that is a tough slate. Going to Air Force and San Diego State, getting Fresno State, Colorado State and Boise State at home. Fresno State's going to have a new quarterback, but it's, it's still, you know, that's a program that's consistently winning 10 games. Uh, that's tough. That is a, that's a tough draw. Um, my impression in general on the scheduling plan, though, is um, I'll say moderate favor. I, I, I think it's okay. It, you know, it probably could be better. I wouldn't hate to see three protected rivals uh, in general, but understand that with only eight conference games, it's easier to do two. Uh, I'm, I'm in favor of playing eight conference games. I like to see more non-conference games. I think that it should be standardized across the sport that everybody plays eight conference games and four non-conference games. And probably, I know that this is not maybe super popular 
at least where I was before at Ohio State. This is not popular. It might be more popular here. I don't. I don't know. Um, and then one of those non-conference games should be a, a an FCS school, which is just, you know, uh, the Big Ten really loves to flex that it doesn't do that, that it doesn't play FCS schools. But FCS coaches would tell you, uh, FBS coaches who were at FCS schools would tell you. Um, athletic directors would tell you NCAA administrators would tell you those games are important they might not be the most fun to watch in the world they might not be the best football um, but those games are really important especially for the FCS schools for the health long term of the sport to see fewer of those games is bad it's bad news for the sport it's bad news for its long-term health Um, and it's also just kind of a bummer because those are the games that I think people who would maybe most enjoy being able to go to a, a you know, a, a college football game are most likely to be able to go to, um, especially at bigger schools because of ticket prices. That's, that's the one where you would see the most like young families. Uh, and when I was covering Ohio state is they didn't play FCS teams, but the, the, the lower level opponents. And then back in the, in the mid two thousands FCS teams, I remember going to some games as a kid against FCS teams um, it kind of serves the same purpose as a spring game. You get to see some of the young players. You get to get people into the stadium who usually can't afford to go. Uh, and, of course, it's a nice payday for FCS schools, and that is important. It just it just is. It might not be the most compelling football in the world, but it is um, immutable that that is necessary for their athletic department budgets and, and should be if not required, strongly, strongly encouraged. And I think that the expansion of the playoff should hopefully help with that, with teams less afraid of of getting boxed out by having a weaker schedule, Um, which, granted, to this point hasn't really been a huge issue. Um, Big Ten, looking at you. Um, But I, I would like to see more of that, and I think that the Mountain West is about on that path, which is good news. You see plenty of FCS opponents here. Um, last year, well, it was Utah State played two last season. I'm, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Um, I know they played North Dakota, but I don't remember if Weber State was also on the schedule. That might be this season. Um, let's see. Should have looked this up before. Yeah, just the one, North Dakota last season. That's an important game. It's valuable for North Dakota. It's good for for Utah State to get some young guys involved. Uh, at that point in the season, especially week two, you still don't really know what you have. And so it, it's almost like a preseason game. And, and obviously there have been instances where the team who is playing it like a preseason game has lost. Washington State comes to mind under Mike Leach just doing it every year, basically. Uh, and Utah State did not have the easiest time with North Dakota, specifically in the first quarter last season. But those games are really important. And I like to see those in general. Just one is fine. You don't need to be doing a ton of them. But uh, I would like to see more conferences doing an eight-game schedule, and I think that this is a, a good way to do it. It's not the most advanced uh, model I've seen. Bill Connolly's pod system, I think, is pretty good with, I think it was four teams to a pod in in, in, in conferences of, what is it, 12 or 16 or whatever it is now. Uh, I think that's pretty good. I, I don't have a huge issue with that. And those are protected games. And then the other games, the other four are, or the other five are on a rotation. Um, I wouldn't really have any issues with that. But I think that this is this is a uh, a pretty elegant and, and strong solution. Um, I'm interested to see. I, I think that the non-division schedule will be exciting, at least. And you're going to get a, a really good uh, conference championship matchup every year, which was not 
always the case in the division system for obvious reasons. It's just, it's, it lends itself to tough matchups sometimes where you've got like eight and five Air Force happens to be, you know, the best of the five and three teams in the, in the division and goes to the conference championship over like a 10 and two team from the West who finished second because they lost one game in the league. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to see maybe better conference championship games. All right. Next up, offensive tackles. I wrote forecasting the Aggies about offensive tackles and guards. This week, next week will be, I was going to say next week will be centers. That is not true. Um, centers will be coming down the road. That is all I can say at this time because next week and the week after that are not going to be business as usual. They will be something completely different that I guess I might as well mention here briefly. It's it, we're, we're close enough, and, and I... Uh, yeah, I am not. I don't really have a reason to hide it beyond this. Um, I'm going to be doing a five-story series over the next two weeks, as you're listening to this on Saturday, um, about the 1961 uh, Utah State football Aggies. Really, really interesting team. Really, really good team. I believe they went nine, one, and one. Lost to Baylor in the the short-lived, very short-lived Gotham Bowl, uh, tied with Wyoming, and just rolled through the Skyline Conference. Last year, the Skyline Conference. Um, historically good team. I'm sure that people know about like Merlin Olsen being on that team, and there are a couple other players who are, who are very good from that group. My cat is playing in the background. That's the, the noise you might be hearing. Um, he's going to make an appearance every week on this show. <laughs> um, but... Really, really strong team, and I went a couple weeks ago. Big, uh, big, big, big thanks to the Utah State uh, Sports Information Department, which is excellent for letting me spend about four hours in their archives, uh, sorting through old stat books, old photos, old programs, um, and I in in the uh, the the archive room. Um, I, I was able to scan all of those game books and all of those photos and all of those programs as PDFs. Um, and I have uploaded those to a, uh, a Google Drive folder. And I have put those all in a, a sort of landing page uh, for this series that I'm doing. Um, and the, the thinking was, these are not really digitized elsewhere. I looked. And that's why I had to go to the physical archives is because you can't really find this stuff. So I went through, wanted to scan all these, that page with all of the archived stuff, the, the stat, the, the game books, the photos, all this really cool stuff, really, really in-depth play-by-play game books for almost every game. Um, that page is going to be completely free for, for everybody, not just for subscribers, not just for listeners to the podcast or followers on Twitter, anybody who wants to look at the archives for that team can do so at the, the egg ship, um, anytime they want in, in perpetuity, it's going to be there forever. Um, and it's completely free, no sign up needed. I just, I think it's a valuable resource for people to have. It's a, it's a really cool team. There's not a ton of history writing done on Utah state sports in general. Um, and I want people to be able to read through those old books and look at those old photos and just sort of get a better feel for what this team was about. Um, historically dominant football team. Rushing attack was, was phenomenal. Um, I've got, like I said, five stories coming on the, uh, on the team itself. I will tease those real quick as well. There's one about 
um, coach John Ralston, who was the head coach, his California ties and how that sort of built the team in recruiting. Um, I have one about his actual offense and how it worked. That will be exclusive to the $10 tier subscribers. The rest will be, the rest of these stories will be at the $6 tier and then the, the main page with the, uh, the PDFs is free, but the stories are not, um, because I can't just give it all away. Unfortunately, I would if I could. Um, I have one on the the uh, line, which would have played both ways, but that would have been Merlin Olsen and some of the best linemen in school history next to him, and they were just dominant in you know offensive run blocking and then also playing the other way. Just a fantastic, fantastic group of football players. Um, I have one about the Skyline Conference and its uh, immediate collapse after this season. This was its last year in operation, and in Utah State, of course, uh, left behind and, and forced into independence for for quite a few years, um, and then into a uh, you know a conference that was I don't think fitting of its uh, its level of quality. But this story is sort of about the the skyline and its its uh, its decline and eventual fall, and about that 1961 season, which was really good. It was a really good season of football. Um, some really impressive games within that that season. Um, and then I have one about this is sort of a fun one. I'm excited about this. Willie Redmond, who was an offensive lineman, I guess both ways lineman, but largely an offensive lineman. Uh, for this 1961 team, really good player. He was an all-conference level player, but I think more interestingly, there was a story written about him in the in a, a Salt Lake Tribune uh, newspaper from the, I think it would have been 1961, um, about how well dressed he was. And that, I've I've noticed there's a lot of clippings about this. There were stuff in there was stuff in the team program about this. There were photo shoots that they did. Um, it was a full thing with him. Was that he was just he was just a well dressed young man. He was just you know he'd wear a suit and a tie and all sorts of stuff. Um, and I just think that that's neat. I think it's interesting. So I'm gonna write about him a little bit. Um, I will also mention if you or someone that you know, uh, as you listen to this, were a were a member of that team or you know somebody who was a member of that team. You have a grandparent or a, a great grandparent or whatever it might be who played for that team or watched that team or any number of things. Um, and you think that they would like to be included, they would like to be quoted in, in any of these stories, uh, please, please let me know. I would love to talk to them. I'd love to talk to you if, it, if, it's, uh, if it's you who has a connection to this team. Um, even if it's just that you watched them. If you watched them play, there's only one uh, available game video of this team. It's against Washington State from the Washington State Library. Trust me, I've checked. <laughs> I've, I've done my share of, my share of looking. Um, if you have memories of this team, if you know somebody who has memories of this team or a connection to this team, please let me know, patrick.mayhorn at gmail.com. I would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, but that is going to be the next two weeks at the Ag Ship, basically, is this this uh, series of stories that I'm really excited about. I think it's going to be really, really cool. Um, I have been... I have been working really hard at it for the last couple of weeks, digitizing all this stuff, getting it all set up. Um, I'm going to be going next week to Mountain West Media Days, so I will be a little bit out of pocket in general. Uh, podcast will be coming up as as normal, but it's going to be a lot of um, it's going to be a lot of of 1961, which I think is going to be really cool. Next week's podcast, I think, is going to be all 1961 stuff, unless some sort of big news breaks. Um, I'm also going to have a couple of those get to know stories here coming in the next couple days, hopefully, um, splitting that up. I talked to, I've talked to two players on the women's basketball team thus far, both of whom were great. Um, but that is 
coming down the pike. Really, really excited about it. If you are a free subscriber and that sounds like something up your alley and you want to try it out again, first month for free or first two months for $5 a month. Um, or if you just want to subscribe straight up, you, you, you like what you've seen or uh, you just want to take a leap of faith, love to have you. The, uh, the, the, the support is always appreciated. All right. That being said, let's talk offensive tackles. Um, pretty well set for this season's team, I think. Uh, you've got at left tackle Alfred Edwards III, last year's starter, I believe a four-year starter. Yeah, he's been has been starting since 2018. Um, he's great. He's really, really good. He he's limited as a run blocker because of his size. He's six seven, three twenty five. But other than that, he is just incredibly competent. Extremely good left tackle. Very, very good on the backside protecting the quarterback blind side. Um, he will continue to be that. He's a great pass blocker, probably the best pass blocker on the offensive line. Returning starter, no questions about him at left tackle. I have Calvin Knapp as the the top guy behind him. Knapp is sort of the odd man out at tackle because he's the only one who didn't get starting experience in this too deep last season. Um, but I think he's a talented player too. I think that he will be perfectly fine as a backup for Edwards, but I don't imagine he's going to be used a ton because I think that... The other backup I have, Cole Motes at right tackle, is probably going to be a swing tackle uh, who will play at either position as needed. So if Alfred Edwards, for whatever reason, isn't available to play, I think that Motes will slide in at left tackle rather than nap. I think that this is largely a... Uh, um, development season which is fine it's you know plenty of time for that he can step into a starting role next season he's only a junior right now um Motes is good got the chance to start quite a bit last season because of Jacob South's injury was suitable struggled a lot as a uh, as a pass blocker which is gonna need gonna need some work he was just he was inconsistent um and I think that it was it was very much a, a result of his age and of being forced into a starting role that he was not expecting to to fill coming into the season. Uh, very, very competent as a run blocker already. Showed a lot of potential there, but the question is going to be about his pass blocking. I think he can get better. He's got a year to develop uh, now under his belt with this practice, uh, with this, this offseason, first offseason, I believe, first or second. Um, but should be in for a, a big step forward and I think is going to be improved. I don't know exactly where he's going to fit at this point. I don't have him as a starter coming into the season just because of Jacob South, who is my starter at right tackle, returning from injury, um, was very good before he was injured, a multi-year contributor, um, much, much better run blocker than he is a pass blocker and the best, probably the best run blocker on the team, I would say. Uh, that's not to say he's a bad pass blocker. I think he's about above average, a little above average, but very, very strong run blocker. He will be the one who leads the way in the the run blocking, I think, for this team on the offensive line. I think he's the best of the bunch just rare for your right tackle, but he moves so well, and I think that there's going to be a lot of running done behind him. Um, there's not a ton of drama here. It's just I think the tackle room is pretty much set. There might be some young guys who can get some playing time off the bench, but other than that, I think it's I think it's about what it is. The much more interesting, in my opinion, um, of the two is guard, um, which I I did. 
I would say probably entirely too much research for, but you will understand why if you read this story, because there's just a lot, there's a lot going on. Um, so left guard is a little bit more settled than right guard. Uh, Wade Meacham, I think is going to be the guy at left guard. I talked to Micah James, who is the offensive line coach for Utah State, um, the day before I posted this story to confirm a whole bunch of stuff that I'm going to get to in a second. Um, but Wade Meacham right now is the leader at left guard. I'm going to just, as I go here, stream of conscious report what I know. Wade Meacham is the starter at left guard right now, but it's still an open competition with um, Elia uh, McGow. I, I, I should have... Uh, here, let me actually see if I have a pronunciation guide on him. Um, I've got this media guide from last year. He might not be in here. Um, no, he's not in here. I'm going to go with McGow for now, and I will have it set for next week. I will I will get it get it under control and, and know how to pronounce his name. I think it's McGow. Um, I know that it's Elia for first name, but he is coming on strong. He has dropped another 10 pounds this offseason. He's down to 330. He was too big when he came in, um, but he is... Looking svelte. He's a redshirt freshman. Got hurt last year, but was really impressive before he got hurt. He is, like I said, coming on strong. He is somebody to watch. I don't think he's going to be a starter this year, um, but I do think that he's going to be good. I think that he is going to be a very good player much sooner than people expect. It won't be, I don't think, as a full-time player this year. He's a redshirt freshman, still has stuff to learn, but he is so big and he is so naturally talented. Um, and I just, I can't see him staying off the field for long. Um, he is, he is a really, really gifted player. I really like his game. He's competing in both spots as a, uh, as a, a member of these battles. Again, my guess is that Meacham wins the job at left guard, but, uh, Miguel is involved at right guard as well, as is true freshman, um, Waylon Lapuajo. Um, the, uh, I believe... Yeah, son of Al Lapua, who the former defensive line coach here, who has moved on to Nevada? No. Hmm. Might be Nevada. I'm going to say Nevada. I'm going to lock in Nevada uh, off the top of my head. Um, true freshman, very good. Also very, very good player. I would be surprised if he's a starter because you don't want true freshman to start on the offensive line. But he is another one who's going to be really good. I'm really excited about what that pairing can be, the, the those two, uh, McGowan and Lapuaho. I think that those two are going to be really awesome across from each other at left guard and right guard in the future. Don't know who lands where, but they will both be really good. Um, but I'm going to guess that Meacham is the starter at left guard. He is... Um, we'll say he is unique. He's a really good run blocker when he is locked in. He's a really good pass blocker when he is locked in, but he had moments last season where he still looked like he was learning um, because, and it's not so much that he was making mistakes, but he looked a lot like he was thinking about what he was doing rather than just doing it, which you can see a ton in young players. He's a senior now, but... He looked a lot like he was still trying to pick up some of the technique, and he was thinking through it as he was doing it, and that's just not a good way to play offensive line. Uh, it's not what you want. It's not a good way to play football in general. It's If you've gotten to that point where you're on the field and you're still thinking about technique, then you are, you're not you're not fully ready. It's just, um, it's how it is. And it's fine. He didn't need to be last year. He wasn't a starter. This year he needs to be. This year there can't be those moments where he's sort of 
gets lost and is without something to do because he was so rigidly adherent to his rules as a, a you know technically um, that can't happen it's got to be it's got to be more natural I think it will be uh, I think that the year of work as a you know as a likely starter is going to be really good for him and that he will be ready to go but he's got to he's got to do it he's so talented he is so naturally talented um, extremely strong for his size, much stronger than you than you than you would expect from a even a 310 pounder. Usually, the strongest offensive linemen are bigger than that. He's really strong, um, really dense, hard to get through. He 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 looks bigger than he is, and he he moves pretty well. Um, I think he's going to be good, but he's got to get the technique down, uh, and I think he will. Right guard is <laughs> where I did much of this, where I did much of my research, where I did much of my work for this story. Um, because of a couple things. Um, the main one being Quazel White, who last year's starter at right guard, former TCU transfer, was very good for Utah State last season. Um, of course, he was, I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast, uh, but I'm sure that most of you are aware he was arrested in Washington back in May for, let me get the actual technical term, uh, first degree attempted robbery, unlawful imprisonment, and theft of a motor vehicle. The affidavit uh, essentially says that he um, attempted to get a to, to to make a woman get him money out of her bank account uh, at gunpoint. Um, there is more extensive reporting in the story. All of this stuff, all of this reporting, comes from public court documents. I have not, I've not pulled any serious strings. I just looked at the court documents. Um, and all of this stuff is, is publicly available. I want to make that very clear. I am not telling tales out of school here. This is publicly available. It is, it is in the, in the court files. Um, he's had, I want to say one jury trial that got a continuation. Um, he has an omnibus hearing on September 7th and then a continuation of that jury trial on October 12th. Um, his, uh, I reached out to his defense attorney, but I did not receive any any comment back. Um, a couple days ago, a Utah State spokesman confirmed to me that he is still suspended indefinitely. That was the the word originally. Um, I am I am not sure that that is still the case uh, because I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. Um, but he's not listed on the Utah State roster anymore. Uh, I'm going to talk about some of the changes to the roster. He's not on there, and. I would guess, informed guess, this is not sourced like the rest of this stuff is. The rest of this stuff is is sourced, confirmed, good to go. Uh, you can take it as, I, I would say, gospel. Um, but I cannot confirm this. I would guess he is not on the team anymore. He's, his career at Utah State's done. Um, I think his career as a football player might be done because this is pretty serious, pretty serious charges here. Um, the, uh, the, you know, there have been incorrect reports before, uh, he will have his day in court. I'm not here to, to sentence him. Um, I, I really wanted to get comment from his, from his defense attorney. Cause I, the egg ships policy is to report on both sides of matters like this because it's not done often enough in, in media. Um, I, I think that directly pulling from police reports is, is just and, and without any further work done is wrong. I don't like to do it. Um, and I, I really would have liked to hear back from him. If I do, I will update this story and, and, uh, and say as much on, on here, um, from that defense attorney, but the reporting that is available from the court documents is not, it's not good. It's not, uh, 
it's not favorable for Quazelle. Um, and I just, I don't, I don't expect that he will be playing again for Utah State, certainly this season, but I think in general, I would guess that his career at Utah State is over. Um, and I think the roster change uh, reflects that. And that's unfortunate uh, for all parties. I, I, uh, there's not a whole lot more to say about it. This is, this is the worst kind of thing to have to cover in this sport and really in, in, in anything. I'm sure that it's the same in all fields. Um, just a bummer, just a, a very, very sad situation. Um, I hope that it, uh, I don't know, works itself out in a way that is, um, I don't know, fair, <laughs> I guess. It's uh, it's it's tough. It's a tough situation. But I don't think that Quazelle White is going to be playing for Utah State this season. So I wanted to figure out who is at right guard. And uh, from reading between the lines a little bit and from directly hearing from Micah James, uh, the competitors here, I can confirm, largely, are Elia uh, Whalen, um, let's see, Austin uh, Leosa, who is a transfer in from Southern Utah. He was a tackle there. He is playing guard here. And a uh, new addition, sort of a sort of an interesting addition, Fale uh, Pule Alo, the center. Played center last year, first five games. I think it was the first five games before an injury. Um he is, he's been taking reps at guard. Didn't know that. I didn't realize that he had been taking reps at guard and gets a fairly new thing. I would guess related directly to the, the white news. Um, he, I don't know if I would say lost his job because he was injured last season, but Chandler Dolphin took over at center and, um, looked good. <laughs> looked like he deserved to be there. I think that he's probably the favorite right now at center, but Alo is good enough to get him on the field somewhere, and it sounds like guard might be the place. Um, I think he's still splitting time between the two positions, but my prediction right now is that he will be the starting right guard come August 27th. I think it's the 27th when they play UConn. When they play UConn, I think Alo is going to be there uh, at, at right guard. If not, I think it would be Liusa. Uh, and then behind him, I have the youngsters. Um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. It's a really interesting battle. I, I've been told that Wyatt Bowles has also been working here at least a little bit, uh, as well as there have been discussions about one of Cole Motes or Jacob South moving inside to guard from tackle. I cannot confirmed that those have actually taken place on the field yet, just that there have been discussions about it. Um, Micah said that they want to just get the best vibe on the field. That might include Cole Motes or Jacob South. I, 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 it's hard for me to imagine that it wouldn't include Alo though, because he's, he's really good. He's a really good player. Um, so my guess right now is that Alo is your right guard and left guard goes to, uh, Wade Meacham. That would be my, my assumption. Uh, again, a lot of this, I, I am not, it's not opinion. I'm directly reporting what I have been told. Wanted to get the most accurate info that I could. There has been a lot of conjecture on a lot of these guys. I have a couple other things I can confirm too, but a lot of conjecture. And I wanted to just go to the root of the source and get it, get it accurate, get it on the record. This is uh, as close to official, I think, as you're ever going to get on a lot of this stuff. Um, this is accurate reporting, vetted, confirmed, uh, along with what I have said already, uh, Jackson Owens is 
suffering with an with a knee injury that will <clears throat> keep him out this season. Did not mention him because of that. I believe he suffered the actual injury last season, and it's just been nagging him throughout, and he's not going to be able to play this year. Um, and then Cade Parrish, the transfer from BYU, I believe retired from football, if the if I'm understanding the phrasing correctly. Uh, after spring camp, just wanted to move on with his life. Understandable. Um, and he is not available as well. Those are both things that I had seen were the subject of rumor, um, and I wanted to confirm them officially on the record, and I did. So that's that's what's in that story. All sorts of stuff in there if you're interested at the $6 tier. Um, but that's my guess right now. At guard, that's what I got. I, I'm going to, with these things, always do the best to get the, uh, do my best to get the most accurate telling of these uh, these stories, the most accurate reflection of what the actual depth chart looks like as I possibly can. I try to avoid opinion in setting these depth charts. There will be opinion within the actual breakdown of the players because I think it's interesting. Um, but in setting these depth charts, I'm trying to be right. I'm trying to be accurate. I want to be a, uh, a reliable source that people can trust for looking at the potential depth chart of their, their team, of their favorite team. And so I think that's what I've got at guard right now. I I don't think that's what I've got. That's what I've got at guard right now. Uh, I feel I feel good about it. Um, so that that should hopefully answer some questions that people have had this off season about the status of players. Um, there are a couple more things to note from the roster change that I mentioned earlier. Uh, I've got a whole Twitter thread on this if you're interested at the Ag Ship. Uh, if you want to see it in in written form, but in audio form, there have been quite a few either little changes or a couple big changes to the Utah State roster. Um, it was updated, I want to say yesterday or today, as I'm recording this on the 15th, I think it was today, um, with some new numbers. Some of the summer enrollees, the freshmen and, and transfers have new numbers. Some of them are just on the roster but don't have numbers. But all of the all of the new enrollees are, are listed, new transfers are listed. Several departures are not listed, uh, which is notable in its, in its own right. Some number changes, height changes, a lot of weight changes. Um, and I just want to go through these real quick. I'm going to stop if there's one that's interesting to me. Uh, first up, Quazel White, like I mentioned, no longer on the roster. Um, his team bio page is also gone. Like I said, I don't think that he's going to be playing for Utah State anymore. Could be wrong. Could just be a, uh, you know, a standard procedure thing. But usually... In my experience, when a guy is not on a roster, he is not on the team. Um, that has been my my experience with it. Uh, could still be suspended indefinitely. Going to hedge on that because I can't say that for sure. But my guess is that he's not on the team anymore. Um, those those uh, <laughs> those accusations are tough. That is a it's a tough it's a tough road to hoe there. Um, also listed, Cade Parrish no longer on the roster. As I said, uh, Brian Cobbs is now number eight. He wore number zero in spring practice. Number zero is now Terrell Vaughn's. He was before he was number 16. Um, Vaughn is now also 170 pounds from 175. He's dropped five pounds. Um, Nana Davis is now number six. He wore 18 last season. Uh, he's also down five pounds and is listed at 155. I love number six for him. That's a great look. That is that's a that's a very very strong slot receiver number. Um, as is zero for for uh, for Vaughn and eight for Cobbs. I think those are great. Um, Taylor Larson, the JUCO wide receiver, is no longer listed on the roster. Don't really know what's going on there, um, but he uh, he transferred in this offseason. He is not on the he's not on the roster right now. Um, Quentin Hadnot is now number 13. He wore number 24 last season. Um, 
Kyle Van Leeuwen is now number, or he's now 175 pounds. He's down five pounds. Logan Bonner's up 15 pounds to 230 pounds. Uh, Levi Williams is now number 16, moving up one spot uh, from number 15. Cooper Lega is up 10 pounds to 215. John Gentry has do- has dropped 10 pounds. He's at 195. Um, Robert Briggs has lost an inch and added five pounds from his 247 profile. He's 5'6", 175. Justin McGriff is down five pounds to 215. Um, Xavier Williams is down 15 pounds to 180. That's something that Blake Anderson said in the spring, or, uh, yeah, back in the spring for signing day, is that Xavier Williams, as he has recovered from his injury at Alabama, has dropped some weight. Um, I would guess that he will be back closer to 190 by the time the season actually starts. Um, <clears throat> Josh Sturzer is down five pounds to 235. Brock Lane is up 10 to 240. Parker Buchanan is up five to 240. Calvin Knapp is an inch taller. He's six foot four. Jacob South is an inch taller. He's six six. Cole Motes is up five pounds to 295. Um, Eli has lost 10 pounds. Like I said, he's at 330. Um, Waylon is up to six four. He's added an inch. Um, Alo has gained an inch and five pounds. He's six two two eighty five. Uh, Chandler Dolphin has dropped five pounds. Is now three ten. Patrick Joyner Jr. is up five pounds to two forty five. Um, Daniel Daniel Greziak is also up five pounds to two forty five. Um, Inaka McGow is up ten pounds to two forty five. Addison Trupp has dropped five pounds. Is now two thirty. Um, let's see here. Um, Arian Peoples is up fifteen pounds to three oh five. Um, Bo Miley is now number, no, he's dropped 10 pounds, is now 275. Um, Hale Motuapuaka, I think I got it, Motuapuaka, I've been practicing for days. Hale Motuapuaka is now number eight, which is fantastic. I love it. I love it. He is 300 plus pounds where number eight is fantastic. I'm so excited. Um, Philip Paella is up 10 pounds to 305. Um, Keenan Miley is no longer listed on the roster. This is interesting. Linebacker depth is getting sparse, especially with Anthony Switzer out for the season. Um, it's sparse. There are not a whole lot of linebackers on this team, especially with Keenan gone. Um, let's see here. What else do we have? Uh, Kaleo Neves is now number 23. I think it's a good switch for him. Um, AJ Vongpachan is down five pounds to 230. I think that's a good move for him. He was a little big last year. Um, Michael Onyonwu is now 165. He's down five pounds. Ajani Carter is down five pounds and one inch. He's now six foot 190, I want to say, not 19, as I tweeted. Uh, Andre Grayson is down 15 pounds to 160. Jamie Nance is down 10 pounds to 165. He's also now number 17. Jaden Smith has dropped an inch and five pounds. He's now 5'9", 170. Xavion Steele is down 15 pounds to 170. Gervin Hall Jr. is down 15 pounds to 170. Luke Marion is down 10 pounds to 180. He's also now number 16. Um... Dustin Ramsire Burdett is down 10 pounds to 180. Dominic Tatum is now number four and has added an inch. He's listed now as 6'3". That's a great change. Great number for him. Uh, Wes Wright has added 10 pounds. He's up to 200. He's also now number 37. Um, that's all I got on roster changes. There's a lot, a lot of numbers to be reading off. Um, but some cool stuff in there, some interesting little changes. That's stuff that I really like to keep track of, so I wanted to 
put it all in one place and figured I would do it on the podcast as well. For those of you who have not seen that thread, if you're interested, go check out the thread. Uh, it's all in there as well in written form, which might be a little bit easier to comprehend, <laughs> I guess, than the uh, the audio form. Um, but I think that's all I got for this week. Good episode, fun episode, lots of lots of info, big time data dump here from me. Uh, looking forward to the next couple of weeks with the 1961 stuff. I think it's going to be really cool. I'm really excited to share all this stuff that I've been working on with you guys. Uh, yesterday I mimicked a, uh, I got to mimic a 1961 program graphic. I got to make one of my own, which was really fun. Had a really good time doing it. Uh, excited to share all that stuff and uh and get going on this we're going to be getting into season stuff real soon got media days next week might do some podcasting specifically on media days um get back to the hotel do some recording something something to look into something i might be doing um but until then uh i will speak to you all next saturday with an asterisk because it might be earlier than that depending on what happens at media days we'll see regardless talk soon